And good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you today. It's good to see all our friends and family at Kingsman Community Church. Once again, it's been about four years since we were here last. And I just want you to know, first of all, that your prayers and encouragement for us for the past eight years that you've been partnering with us in our Wycliffe ministry have been a great blessing. And we know um, this church is well known for its uh, desire, its passion to see God's kingdom advance and that has blessed people around the world. And in fact, in just the eight years that uh, you've been partnering in our Wycliffe ministry, 20 New Testament translations have been completed in Papua New Guinea alone. And that's hundreds of Papua New Guineans who have been trained in Bible translation, thousands who are now calling on Jesus as their Savior. So we want to thank you for that. And also let you know that as you pray for Papua New Guinea and Bible translation Papua New Guinea, the church there is praying for you as well. They often ask us, How are, how's your family? How are these churches doing? Because they know we're supported uh, by churches like this. And they, they actively pray for you, that you would be encouraged, that you would be protected, especially uh, during this year. Uh, before I move on, uh, one tradition that we have in Papua New Guinea is to give a gift to uh, the people that we're meeting with. And as, as we meet with the church, that traditionally goes to the pastor. So I am going to ask Pastor Ricky to come on up forward. And I'll let Sarah uh, hand over the gift here so you can go stand over there by her. Okay, just hold on a second here. <laughs> this is called a bilum, um, made by hand from uh, a friend of ours. Anyways, both men and women use them. Women wear them over their heads like this and down their back, and guys usually wear them in the front or over their side. Um, you can carry anything from your money to your Bible to your baby to your garden produce. <laughs> The ones for babies and garden produce are much bigger, but <laughs> anyways, um, one traditional, as Michael said, is giving gifts, and one thing that they do is they will give each other bilums, um, and so I'm going to give this to you and to your church to honor you guys and say thank you um, for your support for the past eight years, so just a second. A little bit about us. We arrived in California in July for a planned six-month furlough. Uh, Lord willing, we hope to return to Papua New Guinea to continue working in January. And I will continue teaching at Ukarumpa International School, where I teach middle school and high school social studies classes. And Sarah will go back, I think, to her role working with the learning assistance department at our primary campus, teaching one-on-one -on -one with kids. We, our son Isaac, actually, he started the, at the University of North Texas this fall. He's studying music, uh, jazz performance, and our daughters are still with us here, both attending Kingsburg High School while we're in town for these six months. Uh, before I continue, just let me go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity you have to be here with uh, the community church here in Kingsburg. Thank you for this time of worship, and I pray that you would give me your words to speak and that uh, the congregation would hear today what you need them to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the first phrases that 
Sarah and I learned when we arrived in Papua New Guinea was no good to pun down. No good to pun down. We arrived in Papua New Guinea in 2003, and our first uh, thing we had to do was go to an orientation course, and we took a lot of hikes. These Papua New Guineans would lead us on hikes through the mountainous rainforest terrain, and as guests in their country, they did not want us to fall down. It would not be good. Well, in New Year's, just a few months ago, Isaac and Alina and I and some friends decided that we were going to go and climb Mount Wilhelm, which is the tallest mountain in Papua New Guinea. To give you some perspective on that, it's a couple hundred feet taller than Mount Whitney here in California, so it was going to be quite a hike. And on this hike, I gained a new appreciation for the phrase, no good to pun down. It's not good to fall down. In fact, as we were hiking up this mountain, we paused for one of our many breaks, and the guides looked at us and told us, don't fall down. Because if you do, and they looked off into the darkness, they couldn't save us if we fell down. So the night that we were about to attempt to get to the summit, it's 11.30 at night, we gather at the edge of base camp, put on our rain gear, get our stuff together. It's already raining. It's miserably cold. And the guides tell us it's not really safe. I'm not quite sure we want to do this, but we're willing to take you. It was the only night that we had to climb, and so we were going to do it anyway. So off we go. In two minutes, I had slipped, fell, and rolled in the mud. And the trail was still flat at this point. It was not looking good for the mile after mile going up wet granite. Well, after a few hours, we were all feeling sick from the elevation. We were all tired. Our hands were frozen and numb. We couldn't feel anything. We wanted to turn around, but the guides kept encouraging us, kept us on the path. We couldn't see. We had our headlamps on, but every time we breathed, the steam from our, our uh, breath would go up and obscure our vision, and it was getting really tough. But all I needed to do was to keep my eyes on the guide. I needed to look up to the front of our group for those bright orange pants that my daughter Alina was wearing. Sorry, Alina. And she was holding onto the hand of the guide at the front of the line, trudging up that mountain. I thought, okay, if she can do it, I can do it. We're going to keep going. So we had to watch for those guides leading us up the mountain. You know, we live in a dark, fallen world. It's more evident at times than others. A quick look at the news, and it's, it's not hard to come to the conclusion uh, that society is going off the rails on a crazy train. Fires and hurricanes, uh, drug crisis, protests, anti-protests, anti-anti-protests, pandemic, anxiety, depression, and politics. Lots of politics. We see the division and the difficulties, and it can be discouraging. And all of us are impacted to some degree by this. And many of us, at least I have, questioned just what's going on? How am I going to deal with this? How, many, how am I going to teach my kids and get my kids through this? And over our last three years in Papua New Guinea, in fact, it, we were often confused and worried and felt like we were living in the dark. These last three years, our last three-year field term was probably our most difficult three years in Papua New Guinea that we've had since 2003. Uh, for an example, I got a knock at our door at our house at Ukarumpa, the linguistic center that we live at. 
Uh, I got a knock on our door a couple years ago at night, and it was two of our Papua New Guinean friends. Usually they don't come to visit at night, so I was kind of curious and went out on the porch and sat down to talk with them, and with wide red eyes and shaking bodies, they explained to me about some fighting that had gone on in their village that night. They had come to our house looking for water and blankets and some money to help a wounded man who had been involved in the fighting. Well, I gave them what help I could, and after praying, watched them walk off into the dark. And that was just the latest eruption of a long simmering conflict that had been going on in some villages around us. And over the next two years, it led to the loss of houses, gardens, lives. But thankfully, praise God that in August, after many months of work by community leaders and church leaders, a peace agreement was signed. So beyond our Ukarumpa fence, we had troubles going on, but also within Ukarumpa, it felt like the level of spiritual warfare was really stepped up. There was great concern for the mental and spiritual and emotional health of many of our missionaries and their, stu and their kids. Um, oftentimes, missionary families had to leave and go back to their home countries. And this really impacted uh, the students at the school where I was teaching. Uh, their friends would be there one day and the next day gone with little or no explanation. And so many in our community were dealing with this sense of loss and grief, wondering what, just what's happening here. And then COVID gripped the world and presented more confusion and anxiety. The online school experience that we started was exhausting for me as a teacher, and I know for the teachers in the audience, it was exhausting for you as well. And it hasn't been that inspiring for the students, at least as my own daughters can attest. Also, the travel restrictions then made it very difficult for anyone to get in and out. It took us three sets of plane tickets before we finally were able to arrive back in July. And it doesn't look that much brighter for our attempt to return in January yet. But you know what? Through all of this, we have hope. We've been given access to something that can guide us and pull us through these times. We've been given a light that dispels darkness and ignorance and allows us to see a path forward, a path toward peaceful, abundant, and joy-filled life. And over the past month, I've been reading through Psalm 119. You might recognize it as that really long psalm with like 176 verses, and almost every verse is talking about God's word. The psalmist is is praying and talking with God, praising him for his law and commands and promises. And as he does this, he experiences God's comfort and guidance, helping him through difficult circumstances. I'd like to focus on just one of these verses with you today. So if you have your Bible or device with you, and you can turn to Psalm 119, uh, verse 130. Psalm 119, verse 130. And it says, the unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And these words have turned on some light for me as I thought about them, so I thought that I would uh, take this time to share, with, share my thoughts with you today. First, as a good member of a Bible translation organization, 
I'll wait for the truck. All right. First is a good member of a Bible translation organization. I looked up this verse in multiple translations. Uh, I went to the King James, and here's what I found in the King James Version. This verse says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. All right. The entrance of your words. Then I looked it up in the New Living Translation. The NLT says, The teaching of your word gives light. So even the simple can understand. The teaching of your word. I also checked the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, says the revelation of your words brings light and gives understanding to the inexperienced. I like that one because I'd rather be called inexperienced than simple. But here we've got this verse showing us a connection between God's word, light, and understanding. As I looked farther into what this term that's been translated as unfolding, revelation, teaching, as I looked into that, I found that it means that it's a door opening, a veil being pulled back to reveal what's behind it. So what's going on here? We've got a description of God's word being opened before us. It's not just reading the word or listening to it, but God's word being actively entering our minds and our hearts, revealing something to us like opening up a door, and what we find is light and understanding. And it makes me think of my teaching experience. I love watching students in my classes. They come to understand a concept, like a light goes on in their mind. For my middle school geography class, I like to bring out a map of the area of Papua New Guinea around Ukurumpa, where we live, up in the eastern highlands. And it's a very detailed scientific topographic map and at first, these poor little sixth graders have no clue what they're looking at. They can't even find Ukarumpa, where we live. But after going through all the details of this map, explaining to them what the symbols mean, what the colors mean, after pointing out some of the locations on the map, then they can connect with their real-world experiences. Okay, I've been there before. Okay, now I see. Also, we go outside, we play in the dirt, because that's what middle schoolers like to do, and we go outside and they make little mounds, and then we try and map those so they can see what contour lines are all about and trace those. And so slowly what was to these inexperienced little geographers, a piece of paper with just random squiggles and lines, eventually start to mean something. This map quite literally unfolds before them and they see their world in a new way. But in our verse here, what is this light that's being revealed to us? Well, the Bible can answer that for us. It's good practice to use the Bible to understand the Bible. And so I went into the New Testament and looked uh, at first, uh, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 6. So if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So this light is showing us God who is perfect, who is holy, without darkness. Quite a sharp contrast to our humanity and its fallen condition. 
First John chapter 1, verse 5 also says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And this light of God, this passage tells us, is seen through Christ. God sent his light among us. The Gospels attest to this. Matthew, quoting Isaiah 9 about Jesus, says in Matthew chapter 4, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Likewise, John chapter 1, the Gospel of John says, in him, being Jesus, the word, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Going back to this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, a couple of verses earlier, Paul has written that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, people are blind, living in darkness, and unfortunately, many even seem to celebrate this darkness. Yet this verse also shows us something wonderful. It shows us that it is God who chooses to reveal the light to us. God made his light shine in our hearts. In Colossians 1, verses 13 through 14, Colossians 1, 13, 14, Paul writes, He, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Going back to our, our verse, Psalm 119, verse 130, the unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. It's God who pulls back the veil and removes our blindness unfolds his word for us to show us his glory in Christ, who is the light of the world and the salvation of those who follow him. What a beautiful message this is. God reaches down to us. Even while we're still in our sin and rebellion, he removes our blindness, provides us with the light of life through his son, Jesus Christ and guides us in the way of light. What a privilege we have to be able to read this message. I have my own Belem here. And in this Belem, I have my Bibles. And if I wanted to read about God's message of salvation, I can pull out my this one is a King James Bible. My King James Version, like I read out of earlier, or I can pull out the NIV, the one that I've been reading from, or, or perhaps even the message, I can pull out that one as well. So I have access to God's Word in many different translations. But for many people around the world, their bag is empty. So just how, how is the word going to unfold before them if there's no word to hear? The motto people of Papua New Guinea have been in that situation. 
And the Mato live in a very remote part of Papua New Guinea, and ice isolated at a provincial uh, border. They saw people groups around them speaking different languages who had translations of the New Testament, and they didn't. And they were wondering just, well, how can we get a hold of this? Uh, they had the Bible in Tokpizen, a trade language in Papua New Guinea, but in that Tukpizen Bible, the meaning of the words was just not very clear to them. They felt very isolated, like widows and orphans in the world. They also lived in fear of spiritual darkness. Decades ago, they wrote a letter asking for people to help them to translate the New Testament. In part of that letter, they expressed the desire to be free from the dark power of sorcerers that lived among them. They actually named specific individuals. Then in 1994, a Wycliffe missionary family began working with the motto on translation. Just last year, the New Testament was published in the motto language. On the day of the, of the scripture dedication, the other groups who had already had a New Testament translation in the area participated in the celebration by passing the boxes of published New Testaments from one group to the next while singing and dancing along the procession. Finally, the books were handed to the Mato people, who also took a few and handed them to the neighboring language group that had yet to finish a New Testament translation as a way to encourage them to keep working. So the Mato people celebrated the triumphal entry of God's word into their home while sharing the light revealed to them with others. The Mato are one of over 200 people groups in Papua New Guinea that have celebrated the completion of a New Testament translation in their language. But Papua New Guinea, a country the size of California with 8.5 million people in it, is home to about 850 languages, making it the most linguistically diverse country in the world. About 300 of those languages today are in a situation similar to that of the Mato people decades ago. They have no scripture in their language, and they're waiting for translation to begin. Uh, pulling back our view to the wider world, let me give you some numbers. On these pages here, I have listed the names of the language groups that need Bible translation. They have no scripture in their language, no one currently working in that language on Bible translation. You know, there's over 7,000 languages in the world today. Just over 700 of those have a full Bible translation. About 1,500 have a New Testament translation, and translation work is being done in over 2,000 languages today, and it's advancing faster than ever. Yet, there are still 2,000 language groups in the world today waiting for translation work to begin. 167 million people without access to the word of God that reveals light. But you know what? Completed Bible translations are not the goal. Wickless vision is for people from every language to understand the Bible and be transformed. And toward that end, Wycliffe is working with the global body of Christ to advance Bible translation and work together so people can encounter God through his word. 
by helping people gain access to the Bible in their language, our prayers that God would unfold his word and give them light, the light of his glory and life. Now, Sarah and I are excited that in 2003, God called us out of this valley and into another valley in the highlands of Papua New Guinea, where we can support the work of Bible translation and bringing light and hope to people. And our work at Ukurumpa International School helps missionary families to continue to live and work in PNG to advance Bible translation. And we hope to return soon to continue that work. And we invite you today to continue participating and bringing the light of God's word to the nations, something we know this church has done for generations. But as you can see from this list, there's still a lot of work to do, and God is still working. So I invite you to continue to pray. Pray for God to give light to those living in darkness. Pray that we would shine as his church, that we would let our light shine so that others will come to glorify God. Let's continue to encourage each other, especially in these days. Encourage each other in our words and actions that we can work together to shine the light of God to all people. And let's continue to go. God has called Sarah and I to work with Wycliffe and PNG, and I get the joy of doing what I love, teaching high school kids and middle school kids, while at the same time serving to directly advance Bible translation and pray that God would open the doors financially and travel-wise for us to return in January. And perhaps God is calling some of you here today. God has given us all gifts to share and build his kingdom, and I invite you to, to investigate, look for opportunities to serve in building God's kingdom. Let me close with one more story from PNG. During a recording of the Jesus film, Bennis, one of the audio technicians noticed a change in the speaker's voice and he had to press pause. He'd been watching the lines on the computer screen as a Searlic youth read the voice of Jesus for the recording. And looking up, Bennis saw tears in the man's eyes and the man said, oh, I can't read this Jesus part. It touches my life too much. Others doing the recording felt the same way. For some, it was the first time they'd read the word of God in their language. Well, when the Jesus film recording was finished and Bennis and his teammate had dubbed the uh, voices onto the video, it was time for the Searlock people to watch the film in their language. And as the movie began, they saw men and women acting out the scenes from the Gospel of Luke, and the crowd was filled with murmurings of thinking, how did these foreigners learn our language? And the recording team had to explain to them, well, it's actually some of your own people that's speaking these words. The movie continued under the night sky as men and women and children uh, watched the story unfold on the screen before them outside. And when it came to the part or the scene where Jesus was being nailed to the cross, the crowd was silent. Bennis testified that he could feel the emotion in the crowd. He knew the Holy Spirit was working. Afterwards, Bennis asked some of the women, well, how was the movie? And they answered, in our local language, the message is so clear. It's simple. We can understand the meaning so much better than before. It was like a light had passed before us. Amen. Thank you. And now I guess the uh, worship team is going to come up with one more song, and 
Thank you for your time.